All right. Good luck cutting that down. Although I wouldn't, I just let the tape roll because uh, fur flying is, is fun. I have a dream. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. They show up at a crime scene. They can't be traced. Law enforcement is sounding the alarm. Our communities are paying the price. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Rob Long and myself, James Lalex. We talk education with Andrew Gutman and Michelle Kerr and COVID with Dr. J. Let's have ourselves a podcast. I can hear you! Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 589. I'm James Lilacs. Peter Robinson is not with us this week. He's either off doing an interview or finishing his book or hand-washing with wool light his sweater so the arms are supple enough to be tied around his neck in the fashion. Rob Long is here in Gotham, I believe, and, I suitably, and, and suitably hardened by the experience. Welcome, Rob. Thanks for, uh, I, get, I don't know, I, I almost said thanks for having me. <laughs> it's all the rote things that we say when we're yeah. doing. No, this is your show. You don't get have a nice trip, trip, says the guy me, driving me too. off of the airport. You too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, maybe we won't have a nice trip because the Biden administration now wants to have some uh, sustainable aviation. They want to bring the airplanes down to carbon zero. Right. Which I don't think is possible. Uh, I don't want to be in. But this rate it is. They're not. They're, ha- they're half yeah. the flights are canceled. Right. And the other half are people who don't want to get on the board because they have to wear a mask for the next 15 days, after which the spread will be slowed. Uh, I find that interesting, too. They, you know what they really want to do is to increase the carbon tax on the, on, on the uh, flights, make right. it unaffordable for most people to go to the places that they want to go to for vacation because they shouldn't. They shouldn't be doing that. It's bad for the earth. Um, I mean, they'll all go stay at whoever right. happens to pick up Epstein's Island, but that's different. <laughs> that's entirely different. Uh, so there's that. The other thing that I find, do you, do you not think that watching this, uh, is it a kerfuffle, do you think, or a brouhaha? I don't know, over even Elon Musk trying to take over Twitter. Should, ought he not be their hero to the left? I don't think he is, is he? I don't. I mean, no, he's not at all. No, he's not at all. They're terrible. I mean, yeah, they don't like. They don't. They don't really like a solution that's market based. So Elon Musk says, "You know what? I think with all of his money, which was not, which was he was a rich person uh, before he started Tesla, but he wasn't the richest person in the world, and he wasn't. I don't think he was among the richest people in the world, top ten, maybe not even the top fifty. And he says, "Okay, look, I'm gonna. I think I can build an electric car." That's actually cool and works and people want to buy, um, which he does. And you'd think that he would be the solution. You'd think that he would be, you know, at, at, at you know, weird craft fairs with uh, Al Gore. He would just be famous. But instead, they don't like it because they don't like solutions. The solution's not the problem. Fixing the problem is not the not the issue. The issue is how can we get inside your world a little bit more? How can we are, uh, boss you around a little bit more? How can we get it so you just stay home? I mean, that is always the argument. The argument isn't, well, we just need better cars that uh, take less gas. It's that what well, you shouldn't be driving. Where are mm-hmm. you going anyway? Mm-hmm. Where do you think you're going, James? Stay home. 
Right. And now we have to come up with uh, charging stations everywhere, which you would think they'd be happy about it. But, uh, but I mean, they have to build a network out over the country so people can drive these electric cars wherever they wish, top <laughs> yeah, off right. like that, which isn't going to happen for a while. Uh, and you'd think they'd be thrilled by this. But again, it seems to be like he's an annoyance. But it's really because of what he believes. He believes in that awful thing called free speech. Robert Reich had a piece in The Guardian, I think, of all places. Who would have thought that? Where he's talking about that Elon Musk's idea of a free internet is an authoritarian tyrant's dream. It's the most counterintuitive piece of nonsense I read in an awful long time. Did you see the piece? I did not see the piece, but I've heard the argument. It's based on, um, here's the logic. I don't know whether this is it. I don't like Elon Musk because he seems conservative, although he's much more libertarian. So I don't think he should have any power or say at all. People who I don't agree with should not have the reins of any form of media at all. That's essentially the, the Robert Reich argument, mm-hmm. which you know we've heard before. I mean, you hear it all the time. But the idea that there's some kind that he is running, for, he he's trying to buy Twitter. That Twitter would become more restrictive and not less is just bonkers on its face. Um, it may become more of a swamp. I mean, uh, you know, one of the reasons we started Ricochet was because Twitter and the internet in general is a swamp. Uh, it may become less civil. That's possible. It may be, there may be more loonies on there uh, propagating idiotic views. That is also possible. But the idea that it'll become authoritarian <laughs> is um, it's just dumb. That's just a dumb position. Right. I don't see eye to eye with Robert Reichlin. Of course, I'm on my knees. <laughs> but that particular article struck me as, as nonsense on stilts, meaning mm-hmm. four foot eight for him. But, um, you know, it, here, but here's a, a larger thing, right? If you if you, a, a survey of the Harai a tour d'horizon, as they say, of you know the way the world looks today, this morning, mid April, twenty twenty two. There's a war in 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 Ukraine. Uh, uh, there is a, a, a break. We're going to talk about this later. A sort of a, a gigantic, I think, breakdown in people's confidence in the schools. There is a. Uh, uh, a raging inflation going on um, because of cra- crackpot monetary policy, but it's still happening. Uh, which includes, 54, where right, are you? Which includes gigantic, gigantic uh, leaps in gasoline, which people need to get to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just notice what, oh, and, and, and in New York City, I would say there was a madman with a mass shooting on the subway that where the uh, cameras didn't work, took a day to get him. Cameras didn't work, and there weren't any cops there uh, to uh, to help. So, what are people talking about in government? Uh, climate change, of course. Ghost guns. Ghost guns. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, natural gas. You know, the governor of of of, of, of New York is obsessed with uh, lead or, or um, you know mm-hmm. uh, carbon neutral buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, uh, in schools that don't really, which we'll get to, I'm sure I'll get it handed to me by um, our guest, one of our guests. The schools which which don't really teach math effectively, or reading effectively, or uh, American history effectively, um, now want to teach sort of kind of very sophisticated, ornate, eccentric sexuality to children. You know, like nobody wants to do the job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but planes well, the aren't hard. Yeah, the so, job's so, hard. But Biden wants to, to, to adjust the planes, right? It's like fix the problem. And, mm-hmm. and, and as your reward, here's my point as your reward, I would say to any government bureaucrat or elected official or teacher, as your reward for doing the simple job really well, you know, you get to your cherry on top, your chocolate sundae is you get, you know, a month of political indoctrination. 
right? You can indoctrinate any American school child you want who is who d- demonstrates that reads at, at grade level or above is doing a, a grade level math or above. If you if you've accomplished the mission, then you get to do your the stuff you like, mm-hmm. right? First, get gas prices down. Then we can talk about climate change. Well, you know, Rob, the way you've phrased all of these things just shows that you're not of the body and that you really need to be re-educated. First of all, when it comes to the gentleman in New York who did those things, we have to understand what drove him to it. We have to understand what created the uh, the ideology that he felt uh, oh God, prey right. to. Uh, we really do, um, because it, it, it was not his fault once he came in contact with it. The ideas were simply too seductive and powerful. And three, we cannot look at the FBI, which apparently has had this guy on the radar, as they say, since 2019, because it's more important important for the FBI to not talk to the person like that and to constantly refresh the Facebook pages of parents in Virginia who want the school board to do something differently. When you talk about gas prices coming down or going up, they're coming down, Rob. They're coming down at least four cents, and that's because of Joe Biden's leadership. Joe Biden has been historically pro-energy. He wants America. Why? He had a car himself. He had a truck once. He drove a truck. He backed up a truck once. He knew an old lady who drove a truck. He's always been (laughs) pro-energy. Ergo, the idea that Joe Biden has fallen into the mind set of those people who want to decrease the American mobility and decrease the American consumption in order to save the planet is preposterous. Joe Biden is Mr. Camaro. He wears mirrored sunglasses. That's true. That's true. When it comes to the schools and the schools seemingly wanting to teach these kids what you called a nice turn of phrase or these bizarrely Baroque and ornate sexualities, it's not that at all. They're simply teaching reality and they would doing so have exposed the parents who themselves are part of a culture war the right started. Everything was going fine until for some strange, bizarre reason, the right decided to go on a war against teachers who are doing absolutely nothing out of the ordinary, and they started it. So that's that's how that issue has to be framed. Well, and we're talking about, I'm, I know we're right. going to talk about that coming up. I, I just feel like but in general, the, the you know, and, I, and, and I'm doing this now, James, so you can throw this in my face later because I always complain when you do it. But you know that it, when they found that guy in New York City, his name was Frank James, 62 years old, and they found the crackpot nonsense um, uh, Twitter posts and Facebook posts and YouTube videos. He's part of some crackpot ideology. You know, and, and, and it's actually, you have, to, you have to, you really have to look to find it by the way, um, you know that if this guy was the QAnon shaman or something, or mm-hmm. he was one of the proud boys or Klansman, I would have woken up this morning and my New York times would have had a five page insert in the front section with pictures and questions. And you know, who are, it would have been an actual cultural investigation into that wing battery um, instead of, this, which was, it took a while to get a picture of this guy that we were all looking for around New York City. It took a while. The New York Post did it. The New York Times sort of reluctantly did it about 12 hours later. Um, you know, when you're looking for somebody who's on the loose, a picture would help. Uh, and it took a uh, Andy No, who is a reporter and a controversial reporter. I mean, I'm not defending. Uh, I mean, I really know much about him, except I kind of like what he does. But I know there are some people who have some reservations, whatever. OK, fine. Reservations. They think that right. he feeds Antifa names. Kill lists to Nazis is what they think. OK, <laughs> Go okay. On. all right. Yeah, I, I, I defer to you. But I, I, I but he was the first guy to find. To be interested and to find this person's Frank James's 
web footprint mm-hmm. that I found. He was the only he he was the first person in uh, in New York City, which is a uh, many many things. And I don't think he's even here. Many many things about New York City, but one thing about it is there's a lot of media here. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that somebody here would be the first, which shows some curiosity. But instead, it was sort of like, well, you know, but, but, but I guarantee you, had that guy been a proud boy or something like that, or I don't know what they were on January 6th, um, there's another name for it, I forgot, uh, we, we would certainly hear about it. There's also the question of the cameras that were working in the subway station, which is unusual. <laughs> yeah, every single convenient it's not really camera. unusual. A thing not working in the subway is not unusual, but okay. I, I, I know, I know, but the idea that they have all of these CCTVs everywhere, and from the jail cells to the subways where they're needed, they actually don't seem to be working, which makes you wonder when you look at the entirety <laughs> of people who are supposedly in charge of running these apparatuses. What is it exactly you do here, and can you do it any better? I wanted to get to, to Ukraine though, because the interesting thing to me is that some people are really invested. In in that big ship not going down because the Ukes hit it. Uh, it really bugs them if you suggest that maybe the Ukes pulled that off because that valorizes what they believe to be a corrupt right. state and we're being pushed into war, which we've somehow avoided for the last five. I just want to know, when, when, when do the Russians, do they insure their ships? I'm sure that they do, and I'm sure that the guy in charge of paying the premiums on that ship pocketed the money himself and the policy lapsed, and now he's thinking... Oh, crap, which is probably the case. <laughs> but, you well, know, you yeah. personally here in the States, if somebody. You, yes, oh, you, man, yeah. that was a segue. I was about to talk about insurance. Yeah, really, I know. literally. I know. And as and am I'm I, just because... realizing this is and, and, and this is I think this is a new a new. Um, no, sponsor. we've had them before. We've had really? them before. And we're proud to have them, too. Because insurance. Everybody loves the topic because it's so exciting and thrilling. And if you don't have it, they the feel nagged. They feel nagged by it. They don't want to deal with it. And they put it off. Well, listen, if somebody relies on you for your financial support, it could be a child, could be an aging parent, even a business partner. Oh, I've seen those stories. Read those, you know, <laughs> those old radio shows. You need life insurance. Life insurance can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, your loved ones would have a financial cushion for rent or for mortgage payments, loans, education costs, everyday expenses. Having life insurance through your job may not be enough because most people need up to 10 times more coverage to properly provide for their families. Typically, life insurance gets more expensive as you age, so it's smart to get a policy sooner rather than later, and you're not getting any younger. Thankfully, when it comes to what matters, our sponsor, Policy Genius is your one-stop shop. You can find all the insurance you need at the right price. Here's how it works. Check the link in the description or head to policygenius.com. Answer a few questions, and in minutes, you can compare personal quotes from top companies to find your lowest price. And when you do so, you could save 50% or more on the life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. The team of licensed experts at Policy Genius are hands-on through the whole entire process to help you understand your options and make decisions with confidence. The Policy Genius team works for you, not the insurance companies. Whether you're just starting to shop or you have questions about your active policy, they're your independent advocates for offering unbiased advice. Policy Genius does not add on extra fees. They don't sell your information to third parties. Since 2014, Policy Genius has helped over 30 million people shop for insurance and placed over $120 billion in coverage. So head over to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. And we thank Policy Genius for sponsoring this the Ricochet podcast. And now let's get ready to... Oh, I'm sorry. I can't do that. That's trademarked. Let's get, uh, let us prepare <laughs> ourselves for contention. Our guests are Andrew Goodman and Michelle Kerr. Do I have that right? It's Kerr, not Carr. Kerr? 
No, it's mangy flea-bitten dog. Mangy flea-bitten dog. Thank you, right? It's spelled luxury. Andrew Gutman is a concerned parent whose civil protest against his daughter's school, specifically its incorporation of woke education, started a firestorm that brought him reluctantly into the public eye. He's since become, among other things, the co-host of Ricochet's Take Back Our Schools podcast. Michelle is a Ricochet member, second career teacher with a single subject credentials in math and English, social science, information systems, and communications, and soon will have a fifth in engineering and architecture. Oh, we could talk architecture all day. She has a master's in education from Stanford, a master's in information systems from UC Berkeley, and 13 years of teaching experience in the Bay Area. Welcome to you both. Michelle, I'll start with you. What's wrong with the way conservatives talk about education? What are we missing? What tease you off as a conservative when you hear us go on and on. Well, first off, apologies, uh, everybody listening for the sound. I can't use headphones on this laptop. Um, What's wrong is what Rob was just talking about. Um, That what he said was that basically we can't do a simple job. Well, teaching isn't a simple job. Second, uh, he asked. No, I didn't say it was simple. Oh, you said you must want credit for doing a simple job. That's all. No, no, no. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Oh, okay. What I said That's was, hard. there are very clear things that the schools should do before they start teaching uh, woke, trans, whatever. Got it. Okay. And uh, my, my offer to them is a- achieve those goals, and then, you know, then we can talk about the other elaborate <laughs> the, stuff. The, you then you'll toss a kid into Moloch's Mars. Oh, yeah. hang, hang on. So, okay, fine. Fair enough. Um, but it's not true that we're not teaching all those other things. We are. Second thing, and this is important, is that... I'm not saying you're not... Wait, I'm, I'm, here's why I'm interrupting. And I know it's rude, but I'm doing it anyway. It's okay. Because you quit Ricochet. You were a member, and then you quit, but you stayed a member because you didn't like the way we talked about teachers. Right. And what I'm really... I'm not talking about teachers. It's not personal. It's, I'm simply using the metrics of whether they are accomplishing the mission. No, I so get... So, 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 so stop making... Stop acting like I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm I'm being mean to teachers because I'm not. Okay, first off. But the difference is, there's a difference between teachers and teachers' unions. Oh, everybody makes that. No, this is important because I just listened to you. Okay, now, I'm a Republican, okay? So what I'm trying to say is, if you don't mean to slur all teachers, then you need to change your rhetoric because I'm about as friendly an audience as you're going to get, okay? So if I interpret what you're saying, and here is what you said. You said, Teachers aren't teaching math, English, history, everything else. Schools aren't teaching math, history. First off, that's flatly untrue. We are. Now, what you actually means is, hang on, don't interrupt this time. Kids aren't learning. And I think one of the things you have to realize is, is that, that we don't have a given standard. There's no research on what kids can actually learn. Don't give me charters. They skim, they sort, they do all sorts of things, as well as kick up the kids who aren't going to make them look good. So... My point is simple, is that if you want to say, first off, that there are schools, which are not all schools by any means, and I live in one of the bluest areas of the country, and none of the stuff you're talking about goes on in any significant way in my district. And I live in the Bay Area, okay? So it's not all schools. You guys are definitely like shiny object people. You're looking at the, the, the stories. But you could totally say that that should stop without ever getting to the point that, well, schools suck. And that that conflation is a huge problem. Every time you say, oh, my God, these, you know, teachers are indoctrinating their students in some place. And it's like and they're not teaching math, English and history. It's like, well, no, keep it limited. I have to stop. Right? I have to stop you right there you know? and hand it to Andrew. Yep. Andrew, ding. we uh, do now have your uh, your segment. 
Well, I <laughs> look, my background is, is the private school world, which I know better than the public school world. But having been this accidental activist in the last year, I've learned a little bit about the public school world. I think there's a difference between teaching and teaching well. And I'm not saying there aren't terrific teachers out there that are teaching well, but as a system, and I think, and I didn't hear Rob's segment before, but I'm guessing this is probably what he was getting at. We're not teaching kids well in math, English, and especially in history. I, I mean, you can look at all sorts of data that says that, um, you know, how well kids are learning, what kids are at grade level nationwide. And again, that doesn't say there aren't specific school districts around the country that are better than others. But as a whole, we are not teaching children very well in English, math or history. Once again, I would just put, push back and say, what do, define well? Well, I mean, look, can we can I we mean, just <laughs> all right. I'm a conservative, right? I'm a free market I, conservative. I'm looking at an industry providing a service and I see the customers are dissatisfied with the service. My initial response. That's not true. Okay. I mean, no, seriously, the pandemic, just, we just came through a pandemic. Right. I, I, then I will speak, about, I will speak only about yet. what I know, which is New York City school okay. system, a very large school system, or even LA yeah. Unified school system, which I know a little less. Right. Than. The parents who send their children to these school systems are deeply, deeply unhappy. It has never been better politically in every poll I've seen, in every focus group I've seen, to suggest people that a voucher system is the solution. Your argument is they're wrong, it's actually doing great, and the customer is making a mistake? No, my argument is, is that first off, polls don't support what you just said. I'm not saying everything's great. What I'm saying is that schools are more responsive to their market than you would imply, I one. I disagree. Two, In New York City, two. they are not. Parents wanted to go back to school. No, they did not. They they did. No, I'm, look, excuse me. They had the choice. Okay, there was hybrid. And the fact is, is that only 25% of parents of kids went back to school. In New so York City. That clearly, in New York That's City. That's because they weren't open. And they were going to, no, they, no, they were they going were, to school they, and sitting in classrooms and looking at Zoom. Wait a minute. Hold on. But wait, yeah, Andrew, I want an opinion on that. Yeah. Sorry, Andrew. Because if you have a head of an organization that represents some of the teachers and they say a variety of ridiculous things, it, it, it's going to be illustrative of the group that puts her out there. So I'm going to pay attention to it. Just as if AOC is saying some preposterous things about economics, I'm going to pay attention to her because she carries some weight and gets the mics. Andrew. Uh, let's let, let's go to that's well, my let's, yeah. I mean, my understanding is Randy Weingarten is enormously influential including COVID policy and setting. Okay. I mean, that's. Oh, you mean the CDC thing? CDC thing. Yeah, and and the, the teachers unions oh. were enormously influential in whether schools open or closed or went remote they, in New York City. That, okay. First thing, first thing's true, but so what? Because governors didn't have to follow the CDC. And again, was she influential as a teacher as a, or as part of the left, which teachers you know? Second thing, no, categorically. And by the way, I refer you to an article written by Andy Smerick, of the dispatch who made this clear a year ago. It's flat out. Unions were not influential. Parents were influential in whether or not parents, schools open. And again, this is, look, again, you can't have 70% support of teachers and schools during the pandemic without an acknowledgement that that means that most schools were open where parents wanted them open and this, not open. This is nonsense because open. in the private school world where parents supposedly have more influence, they stayed open. In the public school world, they no, did they not. Did not, and not, that, not in California. Not in California, they didn't. And by the way, there's a demographic issue here that people aren't talking about. White parents, as a rule, from the beginning, and this was supported in all the polls, they were much more ready to go back to school. But if you live in a district 
with majority non-white, you're going to have more parents who were worried about going back to school, many times for good reason. Hispanics were very, in California, Hispanic mortality from COVID was huge. There was much more reluctance. You have to look at the demographics. Okay, teachers unions are incredibly strong in Vermont. Vermont was open. Okay, uh, New York City was open. California wasn't open until March at all. Teachers unions do not hamper reform. That's that's a true statement. Teachers unions have relatively little power. One of the things that I don't understand about how conservatives talk is their focus on teachers unions, particularly on Randy Weingarten. You should have entire conversations about education without ever mentioning Randy. Weingarten. If teachers unions are not are not influential, if they're powerless. Right. And no, I, well, okay, well, look, you know, whatever. If they have, if they have very little power, they yes. are not worth talking about. Put it that way, they're trivial. And parents are eighty percent happy with their schools. Right. This is just all. Uh, this is like all a delusional conflict that conservative parents or parents in general have, and they are they are deluding themselves and thinking that they're unhappy, the ones who are unhappy, and they shouldn't be yeah. arguing about what's taught in schools, and they shouldn't have any kind of, I don't know what it is, any kind of sense. That, I mean, I don't have kids, so to me, it's all academic. They shouldn't have any feeling that the schools are doing a poor job. Your argument is that schools are doing a great job, teachers unions are not powerful, and I don't know what, that what we should just move on? Okay, let me, let me, let me, address, so let me address those quick because I know I'm going to give Andrew some time here. My points are threefold. First, uh, by and large, and this is well-supported in polls, parents are happy with their own schools. That, that's, been, that's been a consistent I agree with that. That is true. That is true. Okay. So, 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 so it's not delusional to say that parents are happy, nor is it delusional to say that parents who are unhappy are unhappy. I mean, I'm not saying that they're deluding themselves. Second, but, but it's very important to remember that by and large, the parents are happy with public schools. That's an important thing to keep Going. Parents, when polled, in general, are satisfied with the school their children go to. Correct. That is not the same thing as being. Uh, that is not the same thing as the as the choices that they're making, the choices they're forced to make, the ways they have to gain the system to get the product that they want. That's not the same thing. Well, I, I would I would disagree with some of those, but apart from that, what I'm saying is, is I agree that the. Everybody is it, kind of like uh, politics if everybody compares. Everybody likes their own congressman, but they don't think politics are working. But my point is, is that school boards are responsive to their schools, their their um, their own parents. So if school boards are giving parents what they want to the point that they're getting A's and B's and grades, then it's hard to say you're going to have trouble fixing a system. Well, what incentive is there that. to fix it? Well, well, well what needs to be fixed? Well, OK, so I'm going to ask you what what, what yeah. do you think needs to be fixed, if anything? Okay, well, a couple things. First off, I absolutely think that what's going on with the um, the gender ideology, I think the simplest way to fix that is it should be mandated that if a kid says to a teacher, you know, I think I'm, you know, uh, male or, I'm, you know, the opposite gender, it should be mandatory notification to parents. And by the way, that single fix would fix a lot of things. Right now, teachers are, like in California, are not allowed to tell parents. They are not allowed. It's legally, it's not something that unions put in place. It's legally uh, uh, not allowed. And the, the federal government is doing the same thing. There's a, Some of the state laws are changing that. So take that aside. I don't care how much it's happening. It should but be should we teach this and, to K through three? No, okay. absolutely not. That's what I'm saying. All of those, you know, when I, I'm pretty much in lockstep. My only argument is I think you guys overstate how much it's being done, but it doesn't matter in terms of fixing it, I'm totally in favor of anything that says, you know, look, we don't need to be discussing this 
with with kids, I would even go K through five. I'd say you shouldn't even start it until sex education in like fifth grade or something like that. So I'm completely on board with that. I'm also, um, by the way, notice that's an elementary school problem. This is not a general problem that hits high schools where we do have transgender kids. Um, second is uh, CRT. Once again, this is primarily an elementary school problem. Um, and again, it's going to be hard to fix. I don't oppose trying to fix it. I think the problem is overstated in that teachers who violate community standards will be found and generally fired quickly. So I just don't think it's a problem. You can't fire a teacher. Yeah, you can absolutely fire a teacher. It's very easy to fire a teacher. Has there ever been a teacher fired in New York City? No, they have a rubber room for them. They have the rubber room. And they have a rubber room for them in LA Unified. Excuse me, they, 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 did, they did the rubber room away, but the point is it's not true. It's very easy so to fire why, teachers. Why fact, do we have this? Why are we so wrong, Michelle? Why do we believe that you can't fire teachers? Why do we believe that there was such a thing called a rubber room? Why do we believe any of this nonsense? You're, you're, you're giving us the red pill here. Why do I have to take the red pill? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, it is easy to fire a teacher who violates community standards on curriculum. Very hard to fire mediocre teachers. I totally agree. Uh, and, and by the way, I, I don't think you'll ever be able to fix that. But it's, it's, it's very easy. Like if a teacher goes in front and says something like, uh, uh, that, that, in fact, if you look at all the stories about CRT violations where the teacher said that white students are evil or they had some sort of thing where they said you guys are less intelligent than this guy, in pretty much every case, the teacher got fired. Okay, if you violate certain rules, it's very easy to get fired. What's hard to get fired for is things like being drunk because it's, you know, it gets treated as an illness. Uh, Hard to get fired for simply not being a very good teacher. I agree. I'm not. There's absolutely union protections. That's not a a big issue. When you talk about things like having sex with students, gone. You talk about um, doing drugs with students, gone. You talk about saying something racist or you talk about writing. If you write, if you uh, have a blog or write on social media, and complain about your students, you're going to be gone real quick. Uh, just recently, uh, one of our teachers in a class was ranting, like recently, three or four years ago, was ranting, and she was just mad, and she told the kids they were stupid, and the kids filmed it. She was gone in three months. Okay, so you, it's very easy, and this is in California, which is a strong teacher. Look, look, wait, looking at all these cases, usually it's parental pressure. Somebody films it, somebody puts yes. it up, somebody notes it, yes. and that's what they do. It's not that they find out about this without any social pressure, uh, you know, media pressure or whatever, and say, oh my God, we're so appalled that this person is teaching this, you know, the, the, this, uh, this nonsense. We have to do something. It's when it's brought to them, and they don't have a choice. Yes. That, which is precisely what I said, community pressure. Schools are local. They respond to community pressure. And that's as it should be. Okay. That's what I'm trying to get to you. So we can only we should only be able to fire teachers when when there's a when there's some kid has a phone camera going? No, I mean, first off, they they get fired for other. In in New York City, just because I looked it up, it takes six years to fire a teacher. It gets takes six years to fire a teacher for being not particularly good at their job. True. I agree. Strong union, as they say in the old cartoons. Because there's a, well, first off, there's a different, well, I don't know if it's six years, but I mean, my point is there's a difference between, and, and it's easier to fire in California. If you're a bad, if you're a bad airline pilot or you're a bad ambulance driver, or you're a bad, I don't know what you get fired. You don't take, doesn't take six years. Well, first off, if you are, for example, continually late to uh, school, you will get fired a lot sooner. So but you're making the example. point, you're making the point that everything matters about teaching and education, except education. No, that's not true at all. 
Because what I'm saying is, is that it's very hard to define what a good teacher is. And there's a great deal of disagreement about it, which you guys tend to ignore and say that there's no disagreement about. But there is quite a bit of difference between what people think makes a good teacher. It's also, by the way, there is a teacher shortage. There has been for years. And even Yet though we, we spend more and more money per pupil. Well, Increasing more and more in New York City, more than almost any, I think more than any other country. But it doesn't get to the students because it's because you have this enormous educational bureaucracy that hoovers up enormous amounts of money. Hey, if you guys want to, I mean, I, I, what, what conservatives and Republicans should be doing is looking at that infrastructure. Okay. The, the, all, all of the, all of the administrative staff, we don't need a lot of it. So how do we get rid of that? And a lot, but a lot of it comes because of federal mandates. Federal law of what, I mean, first off, you said that teacher uh, students cost a lot more money. Students cost a lot more money because special ed, every special ed on average student costs twice as much as a non-special ed student. And um, uh, uh, ELL, you know, in other words, when we get like, for example, all the kids that are just coming here from Afghanistan and any kid that comes across the, the border claiming asylum, where do you think they get put? They get put into a public school. Okay, and every time you put those kids in a public school, you have to make sure that you have at least um, two, two to three English classes set aside for them every day. Okay, you have to put them in there. That that you have to usually have special math classes. A lot of them don't speak any English at all. All of that takes money. Special ed. I want you to think about the fact that when we put idea into effect, which was back in the seventies, our notion of special ed was a kid with. Um, uh, 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 Down syndrome. Yeah. Today, you have kids that, that survive birth at four months, okay, and they are blind and completely incapable. I don't of think functioning. that's why schools spend so much money, though. Yes, what? it is. No, no. Excuse me. Yes, it is. There are enough. Michelle, this is exactly, I think Michelle's exactly right here. I mean, I, I I think this is exactly true that in general, these federal mandates, but especially special ed, which is a, a federal and state mandate, um, have are expensive. I think that's really true, and that is yes. probably one of the extra burdens that we didn't that the the public school system was not designed currently as it's designed or as as executed currently to to solve i think that is that's a absolutely legitimate point but i interrupted somebody interrupting no it's just because james said that's not a big chunk that's not true special ed is an enormous special ed may indeed be an enormous cost but it's not because we have it's not because we have more four-month-old kids who survive who survive birth well, no, the second part of that is the ADA, because remember, what happened was, is that special, uh, the idea was originally designed for... So um, can we agree... For, hang on, let me just finish this, because it was originally designed for uh, Down syndrome kids. Nobody was anticipating that. And first off, you say it's not, but a kid, one kid who, who can't walk and needs a permanent aid all day. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying they shouldn't be covered. I'm just giving you an example. That's going to be $50,000 per kid right away. Okay, New York has a lot of kids like that. And then on top of that, you have the uh, ADA, which redefined what a right. disability was. And that. Right. OK, it. so Andrew, go ahead. So so are we in agreement that th- th- there's a problem with the system, but you just don't want to blame teachers. Is that right? What I'm no, what I'm saying is, is that, that I mean, we haven't even gotten into the educational stuff. But what I'm saying is, is that when you say uh, uh, you know, kids aren't learning, you're you're basically saying Here's the standard that we're setting, and kids are not worldwide that rankings. Well, in well, math, okay, no worldwide science. rankings. How we keep lowering well, standards? Well, world, world, no, we actually raised standards, and and by the way, the parents didn't like it. Okay, Common Core. Why was Common Core ripped out in most places? It wasn't because of teachers' unions. 
Okay, that was parents. Why was No Child Left Behind, uh, which was a 2001 ESEA law? Uh, the uh, the 2016 um, or 15, I forget what year, every uh, ESSA, which was a new version of it, ripped out pretty much 20 years of reform. That wasn't unions. Here, help me out. Um, it's not the teachers' unions; they're not powerful. It's not the teachers; right. they're great. It's not the parents; the parents are happy. Right. So, where? What's all the? What's all the agita? Why don't we? What are we worried? About? Why are we talking about this? Well, that well, first off, that's a good point. Is that that to say what you just said? If that's true, what is it that we want from education? And I would contend that people don't really know. And if your answer is, well, I want kids to learn to read, write, everything else, then I'm saying, okay, then we have a semantics problem because let's go into it. Because are you no, no, saying no, you, you that keep, every single you keep, kid? You keep avoiding the question. What question? what reforms? If you believe there should be any reforms, should we have? To in the schools, I don't. I, I still don't understand. I still. I, I'm still trying to get to the disconnect between the 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 vast perception in America that the teachers unions are powerful, with your argument that they're not. They're trivial. The vast preponderance of people in America think that American education is going in the wrong direction. Your argument is going in the right direction. I'm saying, okay, what 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 do, what would you fix in education in the classroom, in the teachers, among your colleagues, doctors, pilots, all all professions occasionally engage in self-criticism. So engage in it if you would just just help me out. What, what do I want to change? The first thing I would change is the expectation that we're failing. That is not a reform of the system. Now you're blaming the customer. You're telling me that parents in general, if I'm a politician yes, and I'm running for general election in the country, that if I run and say, hey, listen, uh, uh, the way the public school system works, I know you're all happy with that. I'm going to apply the, that standard of success to the rest of the federal bureaucracy. You think that'd be winning? You think it'd be a winning uh, argument? Because people would say, according to you, yeah. well, great, because I'm really happy with the school system. No, I'm really happy with my school system. That's what makes it hard to change. Uh, how do you explain the Virginia gubernatorial election? Uh, the, first off, there's two things. One, as I just said, uh, the, the parents most likely to want to be back in school were white parents, okay? So therefore, there was a shift towards that. And again, I'm not denying that Democrats are in trouble in November, and I'm happy about it, okay? so But, but that wasn't against... The, 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 the issue in Virginia had nothing to do with COVID. It was that Terry um, McAuliffe said parents shouldn't be telling st- teachers what they can teach in the classroom. We, we know that when he said those words... Um, the, his challenger went up in the polls, and we know that they cut commercials to 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 publicize those statements. And we know that McAuliffe ran again, ran away from that statement. I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that what the issue in Virginia was that the that one candidate said, "I think everything's fine. I don't think parents should have anything to do with what goes on in the classroom." And the other candidate said, "That's crazy. Our schools are in trouble." And the one who thought the schools were in trouble won. Was he was he mistaken? Do I think that he's in trouble with it? Do I think that Virginia in, in general, again, if you poll Virginians on their current schools, that they're happy? Yeah. But you guys are, I want to be clear, you guys are pacing me in position that I am not adopting. Can I say something? People who, like in the New York City community, people who, va- the parents who value education, for example, the Asian oh, community, now, are the most yeah. upset. The ones who value education less maybe aren't aware of what's going on. 
But Excuse the, me, are you saying, I mean, seriously, because this is the perception problem, the ones who value education, did those words really just come out of your mouth? Yes. Because let me tell you something, yes. from a Republican standpoint, that's a really stupid thing to say about parents. Let me just say, that's Very few parents plan. value education. I can speak this from coming from one of the most elite schools in the country, that very few people there were there for the education. Excuse me, sorry, Bob, can you just jump over Andrew? Because I'm pretty sure Andrew just can criticize the consumer there. Okay, he just said very few parents care about education. So if that's true, I'm, I'm not against. I'm not. I'm I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm taking as written your argument that the consumer's thrilled, and even Andrew's argument contradictory that there are some consumers who don't care. I'm. I'm, I'm fine. There's a difference. Keep... What, what we we got to define what we're talking about education. Okay, but they want their kids in school, which they weren't okay. allowed to be for the last two years. But that's a separate issue. What I'm saying is, okay, the, if you pull once parents, again, once again, Andrew, once again, Andrew, again, Andrew, you finish your sentence. If you, Sorry, if you pull, if, if, uh, the, the, if you pull parents, I would say the ones that do care about education the most are the most upset. For example, the Asian community in New York City. Right. Well, um, I, all I, all I can say is this: is that we have now shifted the discussion between. Uh, and, and, and Rob, I think fairly you're saying, well, what do I want to change? I, what I want to start with is right now, if you start with the premise that schools are failing and that everybody's unhappy, we can't have a discussion because it's not true. If you want to go into what we could talk about that, we that have would improve talked now it, you're for 40 minutes, 30 minutes. I have asked over and over again. What would you what do you think teachers should do better? And you have what said, do I, okay. wait, 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 wait. You okay. have said uh, parents are happy with the schools. Teachers unions are, are have no power at all. Um, uh, they're actually the, the teachers are actually doing a fine job. We aren't slipping behind. The school systems are fine. At no point have you bothered or even come up with any kind of argument reform for the teachers profession for what they do and what they expect from themselves. That to me is is absolutely the problem with the public school system. If I were a parent of school age kids, I would say that's the problem. Every school board meeting I go to, what I hear are excuses and blame. We're shift. doing our brief closing. We're doing our quick closing arguments here before I walk over and pull the plug. I'm trying to close. Is it what I'm saying? Is is that the whole premise of your debate? is why Republicans aren't successful in changing the discussion. It does not mean that I don't think there's some things we could do differently. But you have to start by accepting something that you guys are unwilling to accept, which is that, by and large, it's hard to change things when your underlying art, uh, people are happy. For example, you want to hold higher standards, and then teachers will start flunking a lot of parents. You think a lot of uh, kids, uh, you think the parents will be happy? Okay, these are real issues. And so what I'm trying to say is to start with, think about, whether or not things are as bad as you paint them. And if you start there, we could certainly, there are things I would change. I really want to be straight with you. You haven't named one. You have, not, I'll, I'll, let's stop. We, uh, Rob, yes, you've said that. We know there's not going any further. I want to give Andrew yeah. a chance to go before we go, because otherwise we're going to be at this for the next six Good point. hours. I understand. Okay, so ju just so I understand, the perception that we have is wrong, that schools are fine, because parents are happy. Is that is that a fair summary not of your... School, not, not this not that schools are fine, but that schools are far better and not in crisis the way that you present. How come almost no kid, like ninety percent of people, can't pass a citizen can't pass a citizenship test? So we're teaching history well. Could they pass it sixty years ago? And yes. the answer is yes. no. The answer is yes. No, 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 no. They could not. And there's plenty of there's tons of evidence on that. You guys have a, a very 
very false view of what education was like 60 years no, ago. No, I was there. I was absolutely there. I looked at my children. I looked at what my kid was <laughs> studying. I was there. We're going to stop right there. Miranda, it's been great. Andrew, thank you so much. We've got uh, an exhaustive amount of stuff. Michelle, Mich- right. I'm sorry, Michelle. <laughs> what am I thinking here? I've had too much coffee. My brain starts it's to It's that weird fun. M name. Yeah. No, it's, the, it's just that I didn't uh, retain my lessons from the start of the podcast. Anyway, thanks, everybody. Wow. Phew. And uh, let's do it again sometime soon. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. I had fun. It was a lot of fun. I'm Thank glad. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, here's, here's the thing about that, though. You know, I when you when you go back and look at the schools of the past, um, I grew up watching Room 222, and I'll bet that's somewhere still there, uh, floating around on television somewhere. I, I don't know. Maybe it's in Portuguese Netflix. Good luck trying to find that, right? Hey, you know, it's not fair, really. You know, the fact that Netflix will hide thousands of shows and movies based on what your location happens to be. Then they have the noise to increase your prices. That's right. They've just raised prices once again. Well, you could cancel your subscription in protest. I'm sure. Right. Or you could be smart about how you access them and make sure you're getting your full money's worth by using ExpressVPN. See, you might not know what's on Netflix in your country. It's completely different from what somebody has in the UK or Japan. Using ExpressVPN, you can control which country you want Netflix to think you are in. And ExpressVPN has over 90 countries to choose from. So every every time you run out of one country with stuff to watch, switch to another one and unlock new shows. So right now, let's say you want to watch the show Fargo. It's not on U.S. Network. Now, I happen to come from Fargo. I lived in Fargo. So uh, I know Fargo, right? No, Fargo, the television show is completely different. And if you missed out on it, you missed out on a great show. But like I say, it's not on U.S. Netflix. So what do you do? Ah, one tap of the button. ExpressVPN lets you change your location to France, to La France, where you can watch Le Fargo. Here's the best part. It's not just for Netflix. You can use ExpressVPN to unlock shows on other streaming services, too. Use it to watch BBC iPlayer. It's free, and it's only available in the UK, and there's lots of great stuff on there, too. ExpressVPN is also super fast. It works on your phone, your laptop, even your smart TVs. You can start watching on the big screen with zero buffering. So stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash ricochet. Don't forget to use our link so you can get three extra months of ExpressVPN free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash ricochet. ExpressVPN.com slash ricochet. And we thank ExpressVPN for sponsoring this the Ricochet podcast. Before we go, I know we have Jay, uh, Dr. Jay's coming on. Before we go, we should just say that I, I kind of hogged that conversation I shouldn't have because uh, we have Andrew Gutman there and I should let Andrew talk because he's much, much, much more calm about this than I am. Um, uh, and Andrew has a great new podcast, uh, Take Back Our Schools, which <laughs> Michelle doesn't think you need to do, but Andrew thinks you need to do. And if you're interested in, in schools and education and education policy and um, all that, uh, the constellation of those things, you should... Um, subscribe and listen to his excellent, excellent podcast. He's doing some incredible, incredible, having some incredible conversations. So uh, I want to make sure I'm, I'm going to plug this again at the end. So because I, I really feel like uh, if you're if you're not listening to his podcast, you're missing. You're really missing out. It's like a time capsule where you're seeing the trouble we're going to have in the future if we don't listen to Andrew's podcast today. Is that is, does that constitute your ricochet promo? No, I have another ricochet promo coming up. But I mean, that's, okay, that's, great. That's but first, first we have to go to bench capacity denier, Doctor J. 
Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University, holder of four degrees from the school, including MD, PhD in economics. He was a co-author of the 2020 Great Barrington Declaration, which advocated letting the virus spread in lower risk groups with the aim of herd immunity with focused protection of those most at risk. And he's been our go-to doctor since the pandemic began. Uh, welcome, Dr. Jay. I say bench capacity denier because you posted a tweet the other day and you've been getting hammered on Twitter uh, and holding and holding up well. It's good to see you holding up well, where you had a picture of a bench that had a sticker on it that informed people. This is two years old, two years on that the capacity of this bench is one. And you asked a preposterous, uncaring question that it would only come from a stone hearted man unmoved by human tragedy. How many lives did this save? And some people took it to heart and, 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 and said probably the, the cost, the psychological cost was greater. But some people were very angry at you and said, well, you know, if you'd sat down on that bench, Jay, coughing, spreading, shedding next to an 85-year-old immunocompromised man with one lung and, 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 and four, stage four cancer, you would have been guilty. Again, two years on, and you know what you proposed at the beginning is still as contentious as it was. So now we've got mandates coming back, even though the, 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 the caseloads and the risks are nowhere near what they should be to trigger these things. And we have this XE virus variant, I think. Give us a lowdown of what's going on and what you think about it. So let me start with the bench. Um, I mean, the virus does not seem to spread very efficiently outdoors. We know that for a fact, or else it would have been, uh, everyone would have had the virus during the BLM protests. Um, so, uh, you know, in the summer of 2020. Um, so I don't think looking at the, at the, at this, it, it's actually disheartening. What, what's happened is we have miseducated a, a general, like a huge number of people who still don't understand the very basics of how the virus spreads. It spreads by aerosols indoors, primarily, uh, in poor ventilation environments. Um, so, and th so, <laughs> the bench outdoors. Uh, even if I'm sitting next to 20 people on that bench, although that would be un pretty uncomfortable, I'm not big bench. <laughs> I mean, and it's and you know what? The other thing is the number of live saves could actually be negative. Being outdoors is good for you. Um, vitamin D deficiency actually makes you more prone to a bad outcome with COVID and being in the sunlight helps. Uh, so I think uh, we just, we just given the, uh, I mean, this is a failure of public health. I don't blame the Twitter trolls. I mean, they're, they're, they're just miseducated. Um, so I just, I th and I think um, it, it's, it, uh, we have to like look at uh, in public health, look ourselves in the mirror and say, how did we get to this point where we have induced not just undue panic, but also uh, uh, given just the, the wrong advice about how to manage people's, uh, your own health. What we did was we gave our life over to a series of experts. But when we look at the Great Barrington Declaration, you guys were experts too. Why didn't we listen to this set of experts, but instead chose this set of experts who wanted to reduce freedom more? Or did we even have a choice to be, or was there even a choice to be made? So James, there was a, it, after we wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, it was October fourth. We wrote it, twenty twenty. Uh, on October eighth, twenty twenty, four days later, the head of the National Institute of Health, Francis Collins, uh, uh, he wrote an email to Tony Fauci. You know that that actual Tony Fauci, calling me Sunetra Gupta of Oxford University, probably the world's best epidemiologist, and uh, and and Martin Kuldorf, one of the world's best biostatisticians, Harvard, Oxford, Stanford. He called me of uh, the three of us fringe epidemiologists. 
And nice fringe, fringe by the way. <laughs> kind of high, <laughs> high rent fringe, fringe yeah. I got to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put on a business card someday, Rob, because that, that's, uh, that's <laughs> yeah, a point of yeah, right. Um, uh, and, and so he, uh, and then then he called for a devastating published takedown. He actually asked, uh, he asked Fauci, has there already been, four days later, a devastating published takedown? And Tony Fauci sent him a Wired magazine article in response. Um, there was a, there was essentially uh, but, but a campaign by the top people in government, like in the science bureaucracy in government, to, to uh, delegitimize debate around that, around the Great Barrington Declaration, to make, right. uh, I started getting calls from reporters asking me why I wanted to let the virus rip when that, that, those words don't appear in, in that, that document. I never even thought about it. The, the central idea of the Great Barrington Declaration is focused protection of the vulnerable. I wanted to protect the vulnerable better. We did such a poor job at that, James. We did such a poor job. Well, it's it's like death. saying the separation of church and state is in the Constitution. We all know that's the case. <laughs> I um, mean, okay, so here's what I'm worried about. That they're not done. That masks are coming back. Mm-hmm. That I, I, I can see it. Some friends of mine, the more, you know, the more, you know, COVID terror, terrified. Uh, it's happening now in Philadelphia. Two, two, two bad things could happen, really. One is uh, we could just all go back to pretend it's two years ago and just go through this endless cycle where there's a year where we're inside wearing masks on Zoom, and then there's a year where we're kind of cautiously let outside, and then we had to go right back inside again. Um, a- another bad outcome would be that people just decide that everyone is lying, and they're just not, that there is no truth, right? Is there a third path that I don't know? I mean, I have to say, I, I'm usually an optimist, Rob, about most things, as, as you probably know. Uh, but I don't, I, I don't see, I don't see a scientific resolution to this problem because it's no longer truly just a scientific problem. So, for instance, the efficacy of masks. Right. We now have, I mean, we had decades of of randomized trials before on how, whether the mask stopped the flu, um, and they were all negative. I mean, they were primarily negative. They didn't. They don't. Um, that the, uh, the, we also have like these two randomized trials which show very low efficacy of mass zero in one of the tri- randomized trials for, for COVID. Um, that we have an enormous amount of observational evidence that, that despite two years of, of haranguing people to wear the mask, COVID seems to come and go with the seasons, you know, different, different places. Right. So th- at this point, it's not, I don't think it's primarily a scientific problem. Um, There's some very uh, like strange, it's almost become a a political totem where if you wear the mask, you're a good guy. If you don't wear the mask, you're a good guy. But I mean, I I thought we were getting out of that. I I actually really thought that maybe I'm just naive, that that was ending. And now I see in the signs, I start seeing now bigger articles in the New York Times from before, bigger graphs in, in the, 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 the news that in Philadelphia, there's a mask mandate. I start seeing all this stuff and I'm thinking to myself, my God, is this happening again? And my argu- my question to you is, is it happening again? <laughs> uh, it does seem like it, but I don't know. So, the, so I think that, that there's a, there's a decision that the, uh, that, the, that uh, essentially the, the, the CDC and the Biden administration need to make whether they're going to do this again or not. I think that what I see inside is a, is a, is a, an attempt to shift the narrative, to shift people inside the democratic party away from that. Uh, but at the same time, there's still a very substantial faction of people in, again, this is just inside the democratic party that are still COVID scared. 
and think that all you have to do is if we just if we just adopt these policies, if everyone did the right thing, COVID will go away. That right. miseducation is at the center of the problem we face. But okay, so I mean, just for the record, because the, the only I own, there's only one expert I listen to that's you. Um, uh, although uh, you did say, I think you did. You, I think when I got COVID in 2020, December 2020, you said, "Yeah, I take the hydroxy." What the hell? Which I did, by the way. Um, yeah, you were kind of pushing that. Uh, <laughs> not really. But I was gonna say, all right. So, um, just help me out, just so I know that I'm not insane. Which is not. I, that's a tall order for you uh, to for anybody. But um, cases are on the rise. But the combination of vaccines and treatment. And the the general weakness of the virus in general has made it obvious that hospitalizations and de- infected fatality rate, all that is way, way, way down to a, a, um, to a manageable, a, a manageable, unterrifying, even not even scary number. And that COVID is now a name that we're going to give for a seasonal for one of our many seasonal viruses. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. So, uh, and, and I would add to that, a very large fraction of the population has already had COVID and recovered from it. So what that means is that uh, it, in March of 2020, when COVID arrived, we were all vulnerable. Right. We've never seen anything you know quite like COVID before. Um, now uh, we have vaccines that have provide long-term uh, protection against severe disease, so hospitalizations and deaths. We have COVID recovery. You know, a very large fraction of the American population, like the world population, has been exposed to COVID and recovered from it. Um, right. And so it's no longer immune naive. And as you say, Rob, we also have treatments for people, uh, early treatments, and also later on uh, in hospitalization treatments. Um, Which, by the way, I think we, we are unsung. I mean, the, the the not just the vaccines, the treatments that we have, the the, the medication that we have now is incredibly. You've heard almost nothing about this pill that was supposedly developed that just, you know, that that after infection produce uh, prevents hospitalization in some extraordinary percentage of cases. You would think that that had not been brought to the market (laughs) at all. But there, I mean, part of the one of the reasons that the, that the the eternal covidians seem to be concerned now is they've got long COVID that they can use to terrify people. Well, you don't want long, you don't want interminable COVID. You don't want seven season COVID. So you better wear a mask. It's very simple. And if you don't, it's funny. Um, uh, so the 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 long COVID uh, issue is that is 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 interesting because the scientific literature on this is okay. So let me just start. There are people who when they are in the hospital and the ICU, you're going to have a long recovery. I mean, that's just a fact. Right. Uh, and, you know, that's a real thing. Um, and there are legitimate, like some viruses do produce long-term fatigue and things like, so if you've ever had mono, that's that's produced by virus, the Epstein-Barr virus. It's it, the, the recovery from mono often sometimes takes months. I mean, it's just, a, it's a lo- it's, there's long mono if you will. Um, so this is, that's not unique. The question is how frequent is it with COVID? And the answer to that, you have to look at studies that actually have control groups. So there's some studies that from early on where, where they measured the long COVID rate said uh, where with long COVID is like a, this, a one of like 12 different mishmash of symptoms. Are, are you, are you tired? Are you depressed? You know, uh, that kind of thing. Um, the, 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 the only ones that are specific to COVID is you've you lost your sense of smell and taste. Um, so, so, uh, uh, when the early study said like 30% people at three months 
The thing is, when they went back and checked, it turned out that those people, that many of those people had never had COVID. They just thought they had. And when we looked, they couldn't find evidence that they had COVID. So now there have been a series of studies that have had a control group where they compare people who've had COVID versus who didn't have COVID and look over three months. And it's uh, for, for children, the rate of those COVID, long COVID symptoms is about 5% in both the treatment and control group. Treatment meaning the COVID, COVID group and the non-COVID right. group. Um, in an adults is a little higher and there's a difference, but it's, it's higher, like on the order of like seven, eight, 9% versus six, 7%. So there is long COVID. Um, I, there is long COVID, but it's not, um, but it's not, uh, at near anywhere near the rate that we're talking about. The other thing is like, how do masks prevent it? The masks don't prevent you from getting COVID. Uh, we don't actually have a technology to prevent you from getting COVID unless, unless you want to hide in your cave forever, in which case that's pretty bad for your health. Mm-hmm. Long COVID actually sounds like a scotch that I should try, single malt I should try. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Um, so I'm just trying to get to like, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about my own summer. Okay. I'm worried about what's going to happen here. Do, is there a sense? I, I, I think I know the answer the first part of the answer, but I don't know the second part. So uh, is there a sense in the um, COVID community, the COVID brain trust community, that the widely, wildly divergent number here, a graph, you draw it on a graph, the number of infections and the number of uh, hospitalizations, serious COVID, infective mortality rate, whatever you want to call it, is th- these are now widely divergent. They always have been, but they're even more. There is no spike, even a tiny little bump to match the spike in cases. Is there a sense in the scientific community or in your community or among your colleagues, you know, friend and foe, that this is a sign that it's over? Um, and do you think there's, I mean, this is a harder question. Is there, a, is that feeling echoed in the population in general? Do you know, yeah, do you know what I'm, I'm asking? Yeah. I mean, I think within the scientific community, there's an increasing realization that we do not have a technology to stop the spread of COVID, that the COVID is here to stay and we must figure out good ways to manage it as opposed to pretend like we can eliminate it with these kinds of interventions that we've adopted over the last two years. There are still members of the scientific community that believe the la- the, 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 that it's somehow these, these interventions are, are, are necessary or, or wise or something. Um, and so there's still a fight, but I think that that number is diminishing inside the scientific community pretty rapidly. Um, and whereas there's the set of people who are, uh, who want to essentially like turn COVID into something, a disease that we manage, we, we research, think about, continue to protect the vulnerable because there still are some, you know, I think uh, uh, there are still folks who are older who haven't been vaccinated, uh, especially not just in the U.S., but around the world, right? So right, the, the, right. those kind of priorities, I think, are really still quite important. Um, uh, so COVID is not gone. It will never be gone. It, but, but the key point is one that you made, Robin, which, which I entirely agree with. The cases are not the thing to look at. The thing to look at is hospitalizations and deaths. And at this point, in most places in the world, certainly in the U.S., we're seeing a divergence between cases and hospitalizations and deaths. In the past, you saw a rise in cases, and two weeks later, there's inevitably an increase in hospitalizations and deaths. That's not happening quite the same way now. Right, and, and, and so, so it feels like celebration. And instead... And maybe I'm overreacting, but I just have this horrible, horrible intuition <laughs> just from like walking around New York City and like reading the newspaper that they're trying to get us back indoors. 
They're trying. They're using the rise in cases, which, of course, I agree with you. But four months ago, I was reading The New York Times on the front page. Hey, you know, the rise in cases is probably not the way what to look at. Three months later, we have this amnesia where suddenly people are freaking out about the rise in cases. And by indoors, you mean at home, not bars and restaurants, bars and restaurants, bars and restaurants. It's it's the killing pits. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, uh, are are you I mean, you you're much more. Are you sensing that? Do we need to start like getting prepared for the pushback or is this just kind of like the last gasp of the of the COVID crazies? I think it's the last gasp. Uh, Although that doesn't mean they won't win, uh, at least temporarily. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Uh, I think I think like what I'm seeing again, I think so. I mean, the weird. This is a weird thing for someone like me to say, but it, it is. I think it's it, the end of the pandemic is a political question, not an epidemiological question. The end of the the end. The question mm-hmm. is how much risk are we willing to additional risk are we willing to put up with? And he, what you have is, uh, I think it's really a fight inside the Democratic Party. You see people like uh, David Leonhard, who's a New York Times writer, saying, "Look, we have to we have to manage the disease." He's actually been quite sensible. And um, you see Lena Wen, who was very much a panic monger on CNN, completely turn. Mm-hmm. And it's so so clear to me that that it's political in nature. Um, well, to that, that point, what the hell is going on in Shanghai? Is this all Xi attempting to backstop his, his COVID no. zero policy? It's insane what you see when you be, when you look when you watch a, a video of people who have taken to their balconies to wail in the night at the at the deprivation and the isolation. That's remarkable. Oh, James, it's the first order human rights catastrophe. They're separating children from parents, killing pets. They're killing dogs and cats. They're well. They're 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 uh, they're starving people. They, you know, they can't order food. They can't go. They can't go out uh, at they found, all. They, they found they can order birthday cakes, though. They can't get the staples, but they found that if they order a birthday cake, it'll show up because they have lots of those until somebody <laughs> figured out the birthday cake. But they, I mean, then they, they take them off to these facilities, which seem like ideal places to have a mass transmission of the virus, because yeah. everyone's walking around and you know coughing everywhere. There doesn't appear to be fans or great ventilation. It's insane. But then, I mean, when you see something like this on, 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 on Twitter, you will always have a contingent of people who say, well, if we'd done that at the start, we wouldn't have had the problem that we had. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, is that, that the, the Shanghai experience has essentially embarrassed the zero COVID people. I, don't, I think zero COVID at this point is a, is a dirty word. Like if, if yeah, that's yeah. what they wanted. But is it really, though? Because I, I mean, I know people here, no normal people. Who are like, well, you know, we, if the people are still getting sick. We got to like, we got to stamp this out. We have to stamp it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, is that how so do we change that? Mushy brain, right? So, uh, Rob, I think it's yeah. not. It's not. It's the. It's the Democratic. It's a political fight inside the Democratic Party that is really. And you all know better than me how to about those kinds of fights. Uh, but, but it seems to me from the outside that there's one faction, the, the Lena Wens and David Lanehart's, that are that are saying very sensible things. And then on the other hand, you still have a few diehards who won't let go, who, who look at the, the, the facts and can't interpret the, can't, can't uh, embrace the idea, can't, cannot, cannot like, accept the idea that we don't have a technology to get rid of this disease. 80% of white-tailed deer right. have antibodies in September 2021. I mean, I just, the, the dogs, the cats <laughs> okay. get... Like I just, it's, it's we have, once you accept that reality, then the next question is what to do. Like, well, we now treat it like we treat other diseases. We, we invest in technology to improve the treatment of it. We invest in better vaccines. We uh, protect the vulnerable. That's how you manage disease. 
You don't turn it into the central right. organized principle of your life to do something that's impossible to do. But you become, but people become so so obsessed by it that they won't let their kids watch Bambi because the white-tailed deer in that movie will make them think of COVID because 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 COVID has come to dominate and restructure and rewires rewire people's social brains. It's the damnedest thing. I mean, we're finally getting back to the office where I am now, a couple of days a week, and it's marvelous. People are around, but a couple of people are still got the you know have the the alien face hugger N95 strapped to their face. <laughs> Because Lord knows what might happen. Look, we got to let you go. And we could talk forever about this, but we uh, don't want to have a nine-hour podcast again. I mean, we'd like to. I would. I, Rob, I could have a nine-hour podcast. Rob, Rob, Rob and I this believe fascinating. we are can I, can I, Before you say, can I just ask you one I know this is I, I, one question. And I'm, I'm, it's, you know, we're, I'm hoping to do a longer version of this with you at some point. Um, did we learn anything new? Uh, here's my premise. My premise is that if we had simply behaved like COVID was a virus, using all of the knowledge and information we had about generic viruses in October of 1919. So state of play, October 1919. Everything we know, we had simply executed upon that information and no other information. Not about what we think the public would do or have public and no focus groups, no trying to massage. Just here's what we know about viruses and how they spread. Here's what this means. Would we would have, it would have been very different, right? It wasn't wasn't that we learned more; it's that we forgot. Yeah, we 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 basically abandoned a century of knowledge on how how to manage pandemics. I mean, if there's anything genuinely new, is this idea that we could, in a year, develop and and disseminate a, 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 a an effective vaccine for a new virus. That that is amazing, actually. That's one. That's a new thing that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but. We got the key lesson about that. We don't actually, society is a complicated thing. People, it's it's a very complicated uh, network of connections. The idea that we could manage it so that we uh, force people into a cave until, uh, you know, until the virus goes away. We knew that that wasn't possible. We knew that wouldn't happen, right? Yeah. It was the, it was the easy thing. It was the easy thing to do to make it look like we were doing something, and it took on a self-perpetuating. One, one other really important fact about this is: if if, if Zoom didn't exist, we wouldn't have had the lockdown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's like That's it's basically so like thirty percent of the American population. That's so true. Right. That's the most depressing <laughs> yes. thing I'm going to hear all day. <laughs> Right in 1919, all business consisted of, of uh, carrier pigeons and uh, and and telegraph messages and shadow lamp pictures that people used. You're right, Zoom. Thank you, China, for that program. But thank you, Stanford, for Dr. J. It's been a pleasure as always. And like I say, we could go on for nine hours about this because um, you know when they say you may be done with COVID, but COVID isn't done with you. Uh, well, no, I'm done with right. COVID. Come at me, bro. Uh, thank you, Doc. Thank we'll you. Talk again. Pleasure as always, you guys. Jay. See you soon. The great thing about being around the office, of course, is that we are we're maskless for most of us. Sure. And uh, some people, you wonder if they're wearing the mask because you know they haven't been brushing and flossing, and that's why they don't. You know, because well, now you know, got no, no way. To, that's such a complicated, difficult thing to oh, do. Oh, absolutely not. Now that we're face to face again, of course, dental routine is good. Going to the shops, etc. Mm-hmm. What were you saying, Rob? I'm sorry. Were you it's just all wondering? the things you have to do and go to the store and and you're not doing it right, et cetera, et cetera, and it's exhausting. That's a real generic ad spoil. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, but I'm I was scrolling to try to link scroll. Link scroll. You already have no idea exactly. what I know. I'm actually, about that isn't even true. This. I do. I, that is not. I, what do I not know? I think I do know. Right, but I thought it would have been a little bit more tailored than that. A little bit more effort. There's a low effort spoiler. Here's what I was gonna do. I was gonna say, boy, you know. All that talk about uh, 
uh, our our COVID um, response that left a bad taste in my mouth, James. But I guess there's nothing you can do about that. But you know, that's your job. That's that's. I was just interrupting. That's my job. The thing is, you can get a good taste in your mouth after you've been brushing. It doesn't mean you brush correctly, though. No, no, no. You have to know what to do. Good health starts with good habits, and Quip makes those habits easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to care for your mouth. The Quip electric toothbrush is loved by loved by, by over seven million mouths, and I'm one of them. It has, shall we begin, a timed sonic vibration system with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean, a lightweight, sleek design for adults and kids with no wires or bulky charges to weigh you down, a multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount for less clutter in your bathroom, and reusable handles in a wide range of sleek metal hues including the best-selling all black and all pink, as well as bright plastic colors to make sure that you've got a pop to your bathroom counter. And I actually changed uh, my quip recently because they came out with a color and I liked it. And I said, I want that color to be part of my routine. That's how shallow I am. Maybe shallow, but I had good teeth. So are you on top of your brushing game? You can upgrade your quip with a new smart motor to track and improve your brushing with a free quip app. You can even earn amazing awards like free refills, products, Target gift cards, and more. Beyond the brush, though, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. You can try their sugar-free refillable gum. It's got a mm, long-lasting minty flavor. It comes with a dispenser and their refillable mouthwash that's a four times concentrate. Plus, it's got good for you, you know, ingredients, and it's good for the planet. Quip delivers all of this every three months, if you wish, from $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. You don't have to go to some place where everything's locked up. No, Quip will bring it to you. Stylish and affordable electric brushes starting at just $25. You will not be paying for the teeth for better oral health. If you go to getquip.com slash ricochet right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash ricochet. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash ricochet. Quip, the good habits people. And we thank Quip for sponsoring this, the Ricochet Podcast. Well, I suppose we could get, get back to the war, unless uh, there's something else that you want to bring up first before we, we close. I out. would, okay, uh, let me bring this up because I want to I wanna make sure I say it the proper way. Mm-hmm. Besides, besides listening to Andrew Gutman's um, podcast, which is fantastic, uh, know if you are listening to this on May 14th, that's Saturday, 3 p.m. in New York City, at a place called City Vineyard, which is gorgeous. It's, like, it's right on the river. It's right on Hudson River. Uh, if it's a nice day, we'll all be outside. We are going to do a, uh, a Ricochet New York City pub crawl next month with a group called America's Future. They were sort of um, connecting with them in a lot of ways. Um, the, it'll be at City Vineyard, which is 233 West Street, New York, New York. But that's not really going to help you. It's on Hudson River Park, uh, down kind of close to Financial District, but easy to find, easy to get to. Um, uh, Saturday, May 14, 3 p.m. Come. I'll be there. I'm going to get some other people here. If James is in town, he's going to come. I'm considering. Uh, I actually, well, I almost went. You should. You know, started, started making reservations when it was the 30th, which I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad you didn't. Stuck. Yeah, we had to move it. But but it is the 14th. That's set. So please come. And I'm going to see if I can get some other people there. Um, and it's, We're not going to. We're not doing anything. We're just hanging out. And uh, that is, as you could tell from my conversation with Dr. J, <laughs> I, I think we all need to do that as a political act. But from now to sort of from pub to pub to pub, a pub crawl implies a variety of destinations. Yeah, a variety of destinations. will will either gra- gather people or we'll lose people um, as we move. Uh, I suspect that depending on uh, whichever hardy souls want to continue, we'll continue until mm. uh, the, the last dog dies, as they say. Um, but 
to come and to enjoy it, you got to be a member. So please join Ricochet. Right now, we're offering 50% off our annual membership. Just go to ricochet.com slash special and use the coupon code FUTURE. Future. That's based because we're doing this in partnership with America's Future. At the checkout, you get the discount as well as a free pass to this event. Um, and I would love to see. It. Like, I think we got to do more of this. Um, I want to do it. I really do. And I'm curious to see how you'll be able to tell whether or not people are ricochet members. Tattoo. Well, we'll just uh, we're gonna we're gonna have a uh, you know incredibly incredibly uh, intimidating security walking around. Um, I mean, look. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's. <laughs> Uh, you're on your honor. I mean, we, we please mm-hmm. don't. I mean, join. I mean, if you're, if, uh, <laughs> come on. Right. So before we go, then last thing of import, the war. Um, I want to say, how do you think it's going, Rob? But you're probably like me. You read a lot of stuff. You have, you, you have the illusion of knowledge, which may be true. It may be better than utter ignorance. Um, but we don't know. Fog war, all that. But it seems to be that there's a, that, that Russia is, is minus one ship. Minus one Slava class, I believe, of which they have three. And this is a big deal. Um, a very big deal, it would yeah. seem to me. That's a hard... I mean, it, I was looking at this and saying, you know what? Who knows? They could have just steamed away. They could have been having a cookout in the deck and somebody saw the smoke. I don't know. I'd like to think... I keep telling myself not to jump to what I would like to think. You know, trust but verify. But then, the you know, yeah, Moscow right. itself says... Yes, there was an incident. So that pretty much tells me that, uh, yeah, I, what we were hearing before about the use training, probing, figuring out how to send right. a drone over there and get their attention while they knock them, there seems entirely likely. So when Moscow itself has admitted this, it seems to be the sort of thing that you can't domestically get away. You can't domestically wave away arresting a whole bunch of FSB guys and saying that there are wreckers at home and the rest. I know. And that, God, can you imagine how terrifying it would be? But it's, <sighs> it's like a movie, right? It, it felt yeah. like a movie when mm-hmm. I read that art, the, read the account of that. Mm-hmm. All these SF, FSB guys, basically the, 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 the Ukraine advisors. FGB, yeah. Um, suddenly they're rounded up. One of them, the lead guys in prison, like a really bad prison, I don't think there are any good prisons in Russia, but whatever. It's the, it's the um, Lev one. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's not, so this is the scary not the lube, one. Not the lube, but the Lev. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, I mean, I guess I would say that this is, a, a, you know, not to sort of rehearse our past conversation on this podcast, but when you're, when the metric for performance is your adherence to either an ideology or to a autocratic leader, mm-hmm. um, that can work in a lot of, um, endeavors it can't work when you need to have um performance in no. important places like the battlefield for for for, for, for lack of a better term well there's so, the old line about but financial crashes when the crashes when the tide goes out you see who's been swimming naked right in this case when the tide goes out you see who is wearing a gilded speedo that they bought in paris that they you you know that they purchased with the money that they siphoned off from the state if you have if this exposes the, the weakness that the corruption has done in every single sector, it's fascinating. 2019, from what I was reading, there was uh, some trials and arrests because some guys who were supposed to be doing the very things that protect the ships, they gave them a billion rubles to, to protect the Slava class, I believe. You know, fix the signals, fix, fix the intercepting, 
I'm you, all this technical stuff. I'm really getting yeah. technical here. You know what I mean? And 700 billion, 700 million of it was siphoned off into private pockets, leaving 300 million for this. Well, if the end result is your ship is unable to deal with a, nep- a Neptune <laughs> strike in th- three feet above the water, then there's this. But it's with a communication system, with the tires, with the, you know, the lack of palletized munitions. I mean, all of these things that we've learned are all a result of a completely inert civilization right. and society that has just been mired in its own corruption, complacency, and fear for however many years. And this is the result. But then again, can I, um, that's can sure I try, you, you propaganda. Go on. Can I, can I try a, a theory on you? And see, like, um, premise here is this, is that um, actually, you know, the, in, in America, the incredible left-wing bias has created in the media, creates this bubble. And if you're in this bubble, you don't notice it. And it actually is harmful and damaging to put to politicians and leaders who are trying to run um, and get people who are outside of the bubble to vote for them. So it hurts Democrats because they watch MSNBC and CNN and read the New York Times, and they think that's what the world is like. And then they forget that they kind of lose a whole part of America, of, of all ethnicities, of all races and creeds who kind of live in more of a real world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I read yesterday, somebody said some very interesting, I think it was maybe Josh Barrow, or maybe, maybe it was Matt Iglesias, who's like, was a big lefty for a long time. And it's kind of nice to see him moving to the center. And he said, look, the, uh, but, but student loan, um, either student loan, uh, um, cancellation. He said, look, the, the, <laughs> the number of people who are, are, are burdened by student loans in America of all ages is uh, much, much smaller than the number of people who have zero. The number of people who have zero student loans is much, much higher of all demographics. But if you read the liberal papers and liberal media, you would have a very opposite perspective. Mm-hmm. People who don't have student loans tend to think that people who do have student loans should pay back their student loans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they sort of a- a- accurately assess that the people who do have student loans are doing pretty well. They have student loans because they're doctors, lawyers, something like that, which is true. Um, but if you only read the the, only on MSNBC or the or the progressive sort of Twitters or progressive papers, you think this is a big, uh, 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 universally um, um, supported notion that student loans should be canceled. So you go around the country talking about how student loans should be canceled, and you wonder why each time you do that, you get farther and farther away from reaching a majority of Americans. Mm-hmm. So uh, li- oh, this is a, I'm sorry, so long winded, but liberal media hurts Democrats. Vladimir Putin, steady diet of, you know, authoritarian pro-Putin propaganda, which uh, continually says the West is weak and decadent and disunified and easily pushed around and they don't really have stand up for anything. And as far as he's concerned, the world's going to nod and shrug and let him take over uh, Ukraine, that mm-hmm. Europe is not going to, that the, 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 the prime minister of Austria is going to be in his pocket and he finds that because he's been reading, he's been in a bubble, a media bubble, he's got it all wrong. I, that's not my theory. My theory is bubbles tend to hurt the people inside them more than the people on the outside. Which I agree. Is, now, now I say that it sounds like a, a complete tautology, but I think it's true. I, I, and the, the thing of it is, if we go back five, six weeks or so, and if Putin had just said that he is marching to Kiev to to 
cancel all the student loans, this would have been an entirely different operation. It would have been, it would have been, it would have been viewed by the press <laughs> in a much, much different way. Hey, this podcast was brought to you by Policy Genius, by ExpressVPN, and by Quip. Please support them for supporting us, and you can join Ricochet today and buy all those great things, and life is better. And also, you can go to Apple, uh, the podcasting, give us five stars, give us a great review. We wouldn't mind that at all. We'd love it, as a matter of fact. And join, because we hope to see you in New York. Really, I'm thinking again. I got. Yeah, go. you should it's come. Like, yeah, let's do it. It's been a while. The last time I tried to make reservations, I was thinking about this for April, and I just looked at all the airports I could come into, and I thought, what a hassle it is to get from the airport into Manhattan, like no other city in the world. From the airport to the city, just is just an annoyance. But you know what? Suck it up, be a LA. New live with some stress. L.A. You take the bus. Uh, anyway, so there we go. Long podcast, but good. Peter will be back next time, so it'll be even thicker. <laughs> longer <laughs> oh i'm saying you know it won't be longer but there'll be more peter so it'll be you know thicker than the rest of it yeah. and uh rep gilbert godfrey that's it so see everybody in the comments at ricochet 4.0 next week next week